0: Welcome to Sober Sisters Talk. I'm M.G. And I'm Elizabeth Pudwell. Welcome. The speaker series happens once a month. This will be part of our weekly Zoom meeting that happens every Friday night. If you would like to be a part of that meeting, you have to be female. And send us an email at talk at gmail.com. If you would like to tell your story, please reach out to talk at gmail.com. We want to have more stories out there in order to help other women. And here's our next speaker. Thanks for listening. Also, we'd love to invite you to a Zoom meeting this Friday night at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you're interested, email Sober Sisters Talk at gmail.com and we'll send you the meeting information and password. We hope to see you this Friday. And now
1: I will let Elizabeth introduce our
0: speaker. Thank you. Thank you, Shanda. My name is Elizabeth on the sex and love in Recovery. And I love what someone shared. And I'm also codependent because I've been going to Al-Anon meetings and I'm codependent. But anyway, um, this is one of my favorite nights because I learned so much from this. And um, I know the the courage and fortitude it takes to do this. And um, I know that this particular woman had to like reach down and and get some of that to do this. And I'm just really proud of her. I've seen her for the past few years um, grab into that and get some uh, strength and courage and tap into her higher power and um, she's here tonight and is going to tell you guys her story. Um, so I want to introduce you to Cherie.
1: Hi everybody. I'm Sheree, and I am definitely a sex and love addict amongst other anonymous things. Um, so I'm just going to jump right into it. I'm going to tell you what happened, what, it, um, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now and I wanted to first tap into uh, really get into my parents a little bit because um, I believe that is my my groundwork in my foundation of uh, everything. <laughs> how I have relationships, how I have male relationships, female relationships, it, I, it all stems back from those relationships. So, uh, so I'm just going to be talking about the the bad stuff. I'm not gonna be talking about a lot of the good stuff that happened in the family, but I'm just gonna focus on uh, that and you'll see how it um, plays out in my life. So I said my dad is, uh, he's an untreated alcoholic. Um, I mean, my whole life, he was abusive to my mom. Uh, He controlled the house with rage. Um, It wasn't unfamiliar to see like my dad getting fist fights. He was a black belt in judo and he was really good. And he would get into fights. He would get in fights at work and like fist fights. And um, it terrified me when he did. Uh, he was in a lot of automobile accidents due to um, the drinking. Like one time he literally hit a train, the train was moving and he hit the train. Um, he got in a lot of just accidents at work. So there was just a lot of hospitals. Um, and my mom, she just, everything revolved around my dad and the drinking when I was little, he was in taverns that are bars, but they were called taverns back then. And uh, so he was gone a lot, but he was always working. Um, and then as we got older, he was home drinking, but it was like, you know, in the lazy boy, just get give him another beer, give him another beer and then he's passed out in the chair. Um, My earliest memory of scanning the room when I walked in the room to see, to check my dad, to see if he was angry or happy. Cause when my dad drank, he could be like really vicious and nasty. Or or he was like super fun and funny. So you kind of had to like feel out the room before you walked in to see if you even wanted to get in the room. So my earliest memory of that is when I was three and I remember he was watching, I walked down the stairs and, uh, he was sitting, um, the chair, drinking, watching football. And I remember I wanted to go sit next to him, but I remember stopping at the bottom of the stairs and just like checking to see if it was safe to go in there. And I don't think I like went to him. I think I sat on the couch like next to him. That was the closest I felt safe getting to him at that time. But I really wanted to go like be closer to him, but that was like kind of where I felt the safest. Uh, So my mom is uh, she's narcissistic with the martyrism aspect of it. So she's like always the victim, just always the victim. And, um, so she took me on at a very young age to be her like confidant as, uh, telling me things about her and my dad and kind of like confiding in me at a very young age. That was like super inappropriate. And, um, my mother also constantly talked bad about my dad and she, um, it was like this thing where my dad was a piece of shit and, um, but then we were supposed to go make nights with them. It was like this really like weird dynamic of, um, and they did that in relationships as well. Like if we went over to a neighbor friend's house and they had kids my age. And I remember leaving their house one time and my they moved into a new house. So they moved out of our neighborhood and they moved into a, a new house. And when they did and we left there, I remember my parents like talking a bunch of stuff, like talking really bad about them. And I remember I was like so confused. I was like, wait, I thought that we just like had fun. But what now I realize is that my parents were actually jealous, they probably felt less than, and that they were like talking about them the whole way home because they had kind of graduated out of the the poor neighborhood that we lived in and had a nicer house. And we didn't spend a lot of time with them. I grew up in a very, very small town in Illinois until I was 13 and we moved to Houston. And, uh, you know, two miles was like far when you're used to like walking around the block to go to your friend's house. So it was a very different lifestyle than Houston for sure. Um, So with my mom, I've done tons and tons of work to unravel from that relationship. It was so um, infested with her just wanting to suck the life out of me all the time. And uh, I'm actually in another program as well that I've been in for like 32 or 33 years. And uh, it took me 17 years of doing work in that relationship, in that program with that relationship with my mother to finally like step out of being her therapist um, and it wasn't really, I wasn't really a therapist. She just wanted to like bitch and scream. And then I would like, try to like mom, you know, blah, 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 and I like, do that whole thing. And it just like, finally, I just like, it should be so long to unravel, like fully step out of that relationship. And um, so when I did finally step out, she, I saw her take my sister on, which my sister's younger and um, and it created a whole problem because I had always protected my sister from uh, my mom's craziness and um so that's just a a little bit of background there my dad was super he was physically abusive verbally abusive it was always walking on eggshells um and to this day i'm still slightly terrified of my dad to be honest with you and he's very feeble now he's not in good health um but it's interesting how that is still um, there's that part of that that's still in there some of that trauma from the fear of the rage and you know, the belt, although I'm not afraid. He's going to hit me with the belt today, but you know, so then I kind of had my life was, I loved to be outside when I was little and play and we lived in the country. So that was very easy to do. And, um, my dad had come to Houston and he was working and I was like 12, 13 at the time he came home and he said that we're moving to Houston and I I wasn't having a good time where I was as far as um, like I had girls that were like being mean to me in school and stealing my purse and stuff like that. But I didn't even care. I would have rather stayed there and taken that stuff from those girls than move with my dad. Cause when he was gone, it was so calm in the house. Like it just felt like so calm and I could breathe. And then he got home and it was just like back on the eggshells again. So, I went to my mom and I basically begged her to, to leave my dad. And we had, I mean, we had witnessed my dad being extremely, extremely abusive to my mother. And I just thought, how can you be with somebody who treats you this way? And so the next thing I knew we were moving. So obviously she was not going to leave him, even though I, I told her that we would be fine without him. Of course, I was like 12, but I still felt like we would be fine without him. So this was really like a turning point for me. This was that 12, 13, this is me going into my teenage years. And when this happened, I I just basically kind of lost it. It was time to check out. It was time to, um, I mean, I just did the big F you to the sky and I was just like, I'm fucking done with this stuff. And uh, I mean, I swore that I had to have had some, you know, Hollywood parents somewhere that were gonna come rescue me one day. And, uh, they never did, but <clears throat> so I started rebelling. There was a neighbor girl that, uh, had some pot and we attempted to smoke it. And my parents were coming to Houston to look for a house. And there was a guy around the block, an older guy that his parents traveled. And I was like, we should have a party when they're gone. And my parents were gone at the same time his parents were gone. So we got like the neighborhood people to come over and drink and. Uh, my football player boyfriend came over there as well and somehow we ended up now mind you I'm like 12 13 at this time and somehow we ended up in a back bedroom he shut the door he got on top of me and he proceeded to try to um to take my pants off and I, I he must, he must have been drunker than me and I was able to get him off and get out of the room. But I remember like how terrified I was like of what almost happened. And like nobody even, I don't think that anybody even knew that we were back there type thing. I remember telling the people that were at the party afterwards that that had happened. Everybody was just kind of like, don't, don't say anything like just kind of leave it alone type thing. So I didn't say anything. And I mean, I don't know who I was going to tell, I don't know if I was to tell my parents. Um, so the next thing I knew they were back and we were moving and we got here and, um, I, my acting out just got worse. We were here during the summer before my eighth grade year. And my parents from living in a small town, I mean, they would just like leave us at home. And my brother must've been in sports cause nobody was there. It was kind of like I was home by myself in this new city and my parents must have been working my sister must have been at the babysitters or something because she's younger and i was up at the neighborhood pool all the time which was walking distance from my house which we didn't have anything like that in that small town either so that was like all new stuff and so there was two guys there i mean i just i just was like i was so done with i didn't know how to deal with what was going on in my house And I, there was two boys there, both were older, both were 18. I was like 12, 13 again at this time. And, um, there was one guy who we started hanging out. He was a lifeguard and, um, he actually quit hanging out with me because of our age difference. And, um, he did take me like to homecoming. Like we like stayed friends, but he like distanced himself from me because I guess cause I was coming on to him and I think he was coming on to me too. And he actually ended up calling me when I was 18 and asking me out, but I had, um, I was still in the throes of my other addiction. And, um, so that didn't happen, but he was like respectful of me and that whole thing. It's yeah. So we're still friends today. But the other guy um, was a whole different genre for me. Um, Now looking back, he was probably in a gang, um, which we didn't have gangs in this little small town, Corn Country. Um, And like his nickname was like Rockhead, right? So he might've been in a gang, I don't know. And I ended up, again, my parents aren't home, so We uh, ended up at my house one day, and the next thing I know, he's taking my pants off, and I'm telling him no, and he's not listening to me, and he has sex with me. So I actually could not say um, until I did my four step this last time in SLAW, three, four years ago. I couldn't even say that was rape like there was this part of me that I felt like I was responsible for what happened because I felt like I should have known better um even though I was 13 and he was 18 I mean he he clearly I think knew better and so uh I had really struggled with that for a long time of blaming myself for what had happened so um so my So that's the summer before eighth grade starts. So eighth grade starts, and I immediately find the other kids that are at school that are smoking pot, and we're smoking pot on campus, off campus, um, walking to school, which was new for me. And um, just I just didn't care. I didn't care if anybody saw me or anything. Um, I also had started modeling in eighth grade, which put me around a lot of older people um, and there was a situation with the person that we did a lot of things in nightclubs and there was this guy, cause I was like, just kind of naturally good at dancing. And there, uh, this other guy that they would partner us together and he was 22. And by the, I think by the time I was 14, my mom was letting the older people come pick me up and take me to shows and stuff. And he actually ended up molesting me. And that I had totally forgotten about until like 10 years ago. Um, He came in, I'm a hairdresser, and he had come into the salon that I was in. One of the other people there cut his hair. And when I saw him, I like almost threw up and I just got like really nauseous. And I was like, oh my God, like I totally like blocked out that memory. And then when he came in the salon, I was just like, "Mm," it just like hit me like hard. I was like, oh my God, that was so disgusting. Um, I also tried out for the drill team in eighth grade, which again, I'm new to Houston, so I don't really know anybody in middle school. Um, I mean, kind of the people that I'm smoking pot with and then I, yeah. And then there was this girl I started hanging out with and then her dad was like giving us alcohol and like making moves on us. It was like super gross. And so, um, tried out for the drill team. It was me and another girl at that middle school that tried out together. And we both made it. And then from the other middle school that was coming over there, there was a bunch of girls that made it, but we didn't really like know anybody. And so, and I didn't know anybody in high in high school. There was like minimal people from my middle school that even went over there. So um, it ended up that they, were, they have like big sis, little sis. And there was a senior and uh, a captain who liked me and my friend. And so they like pick first this big sis, little sis thing. And then somehow we ended up getting this um, senior football player. And you're supposed to like decorate their locker and stuff. I did not like any of this super girly stuff. I just like to dance. Um, And so he was a senior. So we instantly like going into the school and not knowing anybody were instantly thrown into like the senior crowd, which was is going from being a freshman to a senior crowd is a very different crowd in high school, as you all know. So we were kind of thrown in with the older people, which didn't help me because I'm doing modeling and I'm around older people a lot. And, you know, we're in the back and everyone's changing in front of everybody with everything hanging out. And of course my mom's like, Oh, you go behind the curtain. I'm like, of course I go behind the curtain. And nobody did. So there was that going on as well. And my freshman year, I didn't really, I mean, there was like a, it's all these older people. When I was writing this, I was like, oh my God, like the last time I like looked at all this stuff was my fourth step, but like writing it out like this, I was like, what the heck was I thinking? Um, So there was an older guy, he got me and my friend on the junior thing, he got us uh, from junior high, They got he got us drunk and I remember she threw up in his car and I don't think we saw him much after that. I don't think I saw him after that, which I didn't really care. And so I ended up, one of the girls that I modeled with, she wanted me to meet her, um, she had a boyfriend and I was supposed to meet the boyfriend's friend and we were supposed to double date. So I ended up meeting, uh, he and I somehow ended up talking and then he and I ended up hooking up and then it was like a whole mess. And, um, and needless to say, we never went on that double date. And he and I ended up dating for a year and a half. He was going through his parents were just going through a divorce and his life was all upside down and he was going to punk rock clubs, had a mohawk, the whole shebang and, um, angry. His nickname was crowbar. Apparently he got in fights with crowbars or something. And so, um, it was just super toxic. He would like sneak into my school and come have lunch with me. Um, it was it was just not a good relationship. So my sophomore year. I uh not the guy with the mohawk, but a different guy. I end up um getting pregnant. And I had an abortion pretty quick. And in that time period, the one with the mohawk wanted to marry me and have the baby. And I'm like 15 and I'm like, this is crazy. All my life is my life is like, it was so so crazy. And um, so that didn't happen. And I had, I got the abortion and my mother had told me previously because she had, she had, a, she had an unwanted pregnancy with my sister and it was when the birth control pills first came out and they, um, I guess they weren't working properly or whatever. And she got pregnant with my sister. So she had told me that if I, um, ever had sex to let her know and she put me on the pill. So I had that abortion. I did not tell her I had an abortion. I just went to her and I said that, um, that I, um, have had sex once and that I wanted to get on the pill and she uh, said that if i put you on the pill it means i'm condoning your behavior and i don't condone your behavior so i'm not going to put you on the pill i kid you not i turned right back around and got pregnant again i was i was like at the end of being 15. it was like devastating and um and this is another level i was already hating my mom for being with my dad and being with a man who treated the way she did and hated my dad for treating my mom the way that he did. And I'm acting out all of this behavior because I just don't know how to deal with like what's going on in the house. And then I go to my mom with like a trust thing that she told me to come to her with, and then she says no. And then that happens again. And I, I just, and I hate to use the word hate, but I just, I really did. I just hated her even more. Um, for telling me that I could trust her. And then that happened. So at this time I am going into the peak of my drug addiction as well. So I am, um, I am, um, I mean, I was already smoking pot and drinking and starting to drop acid. And then uh, come my junior year, I am, I mean, I'm getting high every day on the way to school, I'm dropping ass in second period, I'm doing everything under the rainbow on the weekends, and here I am, pregnant, and I'm 16, and um, this was, like, something that I really kind of teetered on, like, putting out there, but I felt like I, um, I wanted to share this, because this is part of my story, and it has this second abortion really shaped and changed my life in a lot of different ways. Um, my using and parting was out of control and um, the person who got me pregnant was different than the other people, those other people I talked about. And this is somebody cause I'd already started going to clubs and this is somebody that I met there. And then I end up, meeting this other guy and then we're in a relationship and I'm like pregnant and I'm like anorexic and just shaving my head and the whole, I did the eighties really hard with everything. And, um, so I mean, time just kept going on and I got really, really pregnant. Like it was bad. And I finally, um, Cause we were just, we would have the money and then we would go party and then it was gone. So I finally had to tell my parents and they told me that, that they would support me. I I mean, I was terrified to tell them and they told me that they would support me anyway, whatever I wanted to do. And I, I just, I knew that I couldn't have a baby at that age. I just didn't feel like I could. And I know that there's people who do, and I honor you. This, this is just my story. Um, so I end up going through that process and that process was very different than the other one. Um, this process, I was already attached and, um, the amount of work that I have had to do around this choice that I made, um, has been infinite and, um, I even had somebody that, that I uh, had shared with me a couple of years ago that their whole life, that their mother was 16 when she had that person and their whole, their whole life, their mother had told them that she wishes that she would have had abortion. And when this person told me this, it just broke my heart. And I had to do like a whole another layer of work around my, my, what I did, because I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is a human being that I'm so grateful this person is here and knowing what I've done, you know? And um, so for anyone who has had to make that choice and make the choice the other way, um, I honor you and either either way, either way. Um, so with the guy that I'm partying with, I was 16 when I met him, he was 22. We're doing lots of clubs, lots of, lots of drugs. Um, we dated for three years. Um, he wanted to get married. I took the ring only because I didn't want to lose my party buddy. And so when I turned 18, I actually moved in with him and I only lived there for three months. He, um, we were smoking a lot of crack and snorting Coke. And I just, I had to go home. I was like, if I don't go home, I'm going to die if I stay here. So, um, so I went back to my parents' house and, there was some part in there because I would started cutting hair when I was 18. I took cosmetology in high school, so when I got out, I was 17 when I got out of high school, and I was 18 when I started doing hair after I got my license. And there was this part of me that started to want to live. Um, so I started having like aspiration, like things that I wanted to do, and contests that I was doing, and different things with hair. And I, I just like I just got this like this thing to live. And I ended up getting sober <clears throat> from drugs when I was thirteen when I was uh nineteen so um so in all of my using all of this behavior when I was doing drugs and I was going from guy to guy to guy to guy, it was literally like I wasn't like letting go of one guy before I went to the next guy like I was like sleeping with this person before I let go with this person and then I'm sleeping with this person for I mean it was just like this whole. Buller of no, no boundaries, no, um, no respect for myself or for them. So when I got sober, I did quit doing that. I still was a serial dater. Um, but I did quit cheating before I got with somebody else, but I might break up with somebody. And then a week or a month later, I'm dating somebody else. So when you get sober <clears throat> in that program, they suggest you not date for a year. I did not do that. Um, I started dating pretty quick. And the first person that I dated when I got sober was just, it was a hot minute, but he had 13-stepped me. Um, so he had over a year sober and he, we ended up going on a couple dates. And he was, uh, even though he 13-stepped me, he was still like a nice guy and he had like a house and he was like respectful and would like pick me up. and. And I just, like, he just kind of grossed me out. It was like, he's nice. And uh, it was just like, I just was like, I'm not going to do this. Um, and then I ended up uh, going out with this guy that was actually a really kind soul. Uh, we dated for a year and a half. He was, you know, just a picture. He was like a skateboarder. He was like in skate magazines. He DJed, like, the Sober Dances. And then he ended up... Um, Um, He was a drummer and he ended up getting in a band and so he was gone a lot like in doing gigs and different things and everyone in the program was like super worried about him and he ended ended up going out and uh, using so I had to break up with him but it wasn't like a clean breakup. It was um, like where we would still like if I called him he would still come over type thing and so I ended up in this period meeting another guy who, um, owned a production company and put concerts on like really cool concerts and he liked me and I knew that he did. And so I would just like, I would cut his hair for free. Like that was my compensation and that was my justification, I should say, because I knew that he wanted more and that was like, well, I'll cut your hair, but that's all that I'm going to do. And. So I'm still like this guy then, and then I've got the other one that's not clean, broken up. And then all of a sudden here comes my ex-husband. Um, I guess I should say my future husband, but he's my ex-husband now. <laughs> so in the midst of all of this craziness going on. And so when I first met him, I thought that he was full of himself. And then the next time I saw him was at a meeting because the first time I was at a party and then, a, a sober party, and then the next time was at a um, at a meeting, and I thought he was super arrogant. And after that meeting, he had like started hitting on me, and um, I turned him down because I just I didn't like him at all. But he kept asking me out again, like several times, and so I like gave in and thought that you know just going to lunch would be okay. It's not a big deal type thing. So when we got to lunch, he actually put on his charm. And, um, he like made me laugh a lot. And I just thought, Hmm, maybe I judged him too harshly. And what I realized now is that I just, I like my intuition, just like, I just like let it go and just didn't pay attention to myself. Um, so we had plans to get together that night and I had sex with him. We dated for six months and in that six months we had broken up twice. One of the breakups was over him telling me that he couldn't be with someone that has had an abortion. And I was like, well, I can't change that. So we need to break up. I mean, there's nothing I can do about that. And, um, and then he would start contacting me again. So in the time that we started dating, it was a six month period, two breakups, two toxic breaks up breakups, nothing resolved. And then we move in together. So within six months, that's what happens. And then six months later, we get married. And by this time, he is already um, controlling who I see, who I hang out with. Um, the, the control had already, and the isolation had already started to happen. So I, um, I, actually, I actually really thought I could, I could get him to change. I know this is, sounds totally irrational and uh, but I did and so I ignored a lot of the red flags that I saw and it only got once we got married everything just got worse got way worse and after we got married is when the physical abuse started and he uh, probably the worst thing that he has ever said to me that possibly any human being has ever said to me and he said this, I can't even tell you how many times he told me this, but he, when he was angry at me, he would tell me that I was a baby killer. And um, so needless to say, I had to do work around that as well. Um, besides all of the other work I've had to do around this. <clears throat> so I knew what was happening was wrong, was like so wrong. And, um, and when I spoke my truth, he would rage and get physical towards me. Sounds like my dad. Um, so I would just swallow my truth. I mean, I just kept it in and doing my last four step. I realized that, um, not only was he gaslighting me, but I was gaslighting myself. So between the physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, he would do psychological things like flip this which in the middle of the night like wake me up and start yelling at me and keep me up which is for hours and hours it was just like this insanity stuff um, um and I mean there was the sexual there was money abuse around money and I had almost fully lost my identity I mean I'd gotten to the point where I'd stand in the closet and I would go what does he want me to wear today like because I do not want to wear cause if I just didn't want to hear from him I just wanted to like be whatever that was that he wanted, that I thought he wanted me to be. And so, after I finally left him, I would left him once, went back, and then I left him again. And when I left him that second time, my best friend, who I got sober with, um, she had said that that I had turned into my mother, the mother that I still had the H word, of, you know, around. I'd done a lot of work at this point on my mom and I's relationship, um, but there was still like there was still definitely some unhealed stuff around that. So after I divorced him, that, that was my first introduction to SLAW. Um, I ended up finding an amazing therapist who specialized in family of origin. And she told me that I needed to go to SLAW and that I, ha- that I have PTSD. Um, from my, possibly my childhood, but definitely from my marriage. And I loved, I loved going to SLAW. I knew some women there that I hung out with. I ended up going to like the beach retreat and had just like such a great time and couldn't believe what people were like, putting this stuff out there in the, um, in the open and talking about it the way that they did. Um, I ended up making a God box there and I still have it. This was like 22 years ago. And the sponsor that I had at the time. So my kids were two and three when I got divorced, and it was uh, my AA meetings had already I had to cut those back already because of how the t- how my time was, and I had my own business, and there was just a lot going on. And he wasn't helping because you know it's babysitting, and it was just whatever. So I couldn't do the law meetings like she wanted me to, um, and there wasn't as many law meetings back there either back then either as there is now. So I, we were getting together to do my first step and she would asked me if I had gone to a meeting and I said, no, I haven't been to a meeting this week. And she said, then I'm not going to get together with you. Cause that was one of her conditions. Um, so instead of like going and finding another sponsor, I just gradually just like quit going to SLAW. So, and as a way for my abuser, so all was good, right? <laughs> Little did I know around the corner. Um, So after I left SLAW, I kind of put a wall up. And um, and I thought, I'm just gonna go have fun. So I started looking around the rooms in AA, and there was three different guys at different times that I had slept with in a very short span of time. And two of them wanted to be in a relationship with me, one of them didn't. And at one point we're all sitting in the same AA meeting together. And they all know about each other. And I know about each other. And it was like, I was just like, this is like ridiculous that this is happening. And so one of my friends had said, if you want to do this, you need to take it outside of the meetings. So I walk into an AT&T store and this guy is there cute. He's, you know, super flirty with me and he's a little bit younger and we end up like, kind of having this hookup thing that we're doing. And um, I think we used each other, but i probably used him a little bit more. I think that he wanted um, maybe a little bit more, but I was in this, um, not as if I wasn't in a destructive mode before, but now I'm in like a whole different kind of destructive mode. Um, I had went to this Halloween party one night, uh, with a, with a girlfriend and I was like, I'm going to hook up with somebody. And I like walked in and found the person. And I told her, I was like, that's the guy right there. And like in 20, 30 minutes, he like comes walking over. And then that was, I mean, it's just, I, I just was on fire. just not wanting to feel obviously anything that was going on in my life. Um, So I kind of ran a gamut with some guys and what ended up happening was um, I ended up running across a guy that that I liked and he ended up kind of doing to me what I was doing to these other people. And uh, it felt like really shitty and when that happened, I realized like how I was treating these other people and how they must feel. And I was like, I just need to stop this behavior. Like This is not okay, I'm not okay with it. And um, it's not cool that I'm treating other people like this and it doesn't feel cool that now this has happened to me. So I stopped doing that. So now I'm gonna start doing the long relationships. <laughs> I, I have been a serial dater, obviously my entire life. And, um, so the, so I get on a dating app. This is all on my own too. I'm not doing any law. I mean, I'm doing therapy and I'm doing other things and I'm you know sober in the other program, but I'm not doing anything about looking at codependency, sex addiction, like love addiction, like none of that stuff. Um, So I go out and, so I meet this guy and he's like into meditation. He's lived in other countries and I found him interesting. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. And it was like in three months, we're talking about moving in together. And then he had some personal things happen in his life. And I just was like, I'm not in for this. Like I can't do this. And so we broke up. And then I met this other guy online that, um, that lived in another city. He lived in Texas, but he lived in another city. And I knew that it wasn't gonna go anywhere, but I thought, eh, I was like bored one night. Bad word for me. Um, and he was in Houston, and so I went and met him and his friend out, and he thought he was super cute, and then he came to Houston again, and we ended up going out, and he um, we did have sex that night, but to wake up in the morning to find out that he was actually in a blackout the night before. Uh, so he goes back home and he calls me and he's like- Two you know, minute like, warning. Oh, wow. Okay, well, let me get sober then. Thank you. So let me fast forward. So there's been a lot of guys. Okay, y'all get that. Okay, so my sobriety, getting sober the last four years is, um, I should have had you give me a 20 minute warning is, um, I knew that I needed to get a hard, a sponsor that could hold me accountable. And Elizabeth was my person and she, we started working the steps. We met every week. Um, I just did not want to do this behavior anymore. And I was over me and over the toxicity and I did my, um, my steps, I did my four step, like I had never done my four step before. I put everything down. I just I just wanted to cover everything. Um, my withdrawals were unbelievable and lots of pain and lots of feelings. And I ended up going out with Kara Weed and doing a love addiction workshop. And I did the homework afterwards because I'd done workshops with her before and I didn't do the, the 90 day commitment afterwards. I did that. I found an EMDR uh, therapist and did um, lots of EMR, EMDR. I asked her, please keep me focused on my dad because I've not done my dad work and I really need to do my dad work. So please keep me focused on that. And she did. And between my steps, the um, the weekend and then the EMDR, it, it was like everything was happening at one time. and. I was actually not in a relationship for over two years when that was happening. I just, I didn't feel fit. I felt like I needed to just fully focus on myself and it was very, very rewarding. And I'm glad that, um, that, that I did that. So. So after I got done with my steps I was like what do I want to do and I went and I got my yoga certification I do um, healing retreats now I do sound baths um, I, I have a sponsee and slaw which is extremely rewarding I mean because as, as I'm watching her work through her stuff it's it's helping me work through my stuff at different levels I am so sorry y'all I told you had, had you tell me twenty minutes. Thank you.
0: No, will you please wrap it up? Will you finish?
1: Well, I feel like um, I feel like I wrote way too much because I was afraid I wasn't going to have enough. Um, I mean, kind of to, to wrap it up. I mean, when Elizabeth had asked me if um if we could if if we could record this and put it on the podcast, I um. I got really nervous and I, um, because I wanted to share like some vulnerable stuff with you guys. And so I was out to dinner with my, my daughters at that point and, um, and I was telling them and they knew about my abortions because my ex-husband had told me about my abortions because he was trying to get them to hate me. And, um, and I told them and they said, Mom, you need to share that. Like, people need to hear that. People need to hear your story and you could really help some people. Um, with that and they both were like in unison and so the next morning after I got home and I was thinking about it like I just started crying because of all of the hurt and the pain that has gone through their lives my life what I've done with myself and what they've experienced because of the choices I made with picking their dad and all of that that it's like here we sit and they're just like so supportive of it all and they've both individually worked 12-step programs themselves and um so I just, I decided that I was just going to be vulnerable and whoever needed to hear my, hear that, could hear that. And so, um, writing this was very, uh, revealing and it was like, I had a lot of feelings doing it because the last time was like the fourth and fifth step, like three years ago, but like really sitting down now after doing the of work that I have done and like going back and like looking at that and, and writing it. It's like, I can like actually have like some compassion for that little girl. Like really like all she wanted was her dad. I had to love her and to show some kindness and compassion and not abandon her. And all of the acting out that I did was trying to fill that void. And um, I did a lot of hurtful things to myself in in trying to find that love that is not external, it's internal. And, uh, you know, just this journey of trying to, you know, reparent that little girl and be in my adult and show up of a woman with integrity so
0: thank you thank you thanks sherry thank you sherry that's it for this month's speaker meeting stay tuned to sober sisters talk for next month's speaker thank you